The content of the podcast is for information only and doesn't amount to advice or recommendations on which any reliance should be placed. We recommend that you make independent inquiries before taking any action on the back of this podcast. Good day, friends. I'm Scott Reeves, and welcome to another episode of Borderless Business with Santander, the podcast for internationally experienced and internationally ambitious UK businesses. Now, for those of you who've joined us before, and some of you will even be regular listeners, by now, you'll know what you're in for. But for those of you who are joining us for the very first time, first and foremost, let me say thanks for dropping by. Secondly, let me tell you what's in store for you. Now, in this series, you'll hear about the opportunities, about the challenges, and of course, you'll hear about the solutions that you'll want to be aware of that can help you and your business take the next step, whatever that step may be, towards international growth. Now, we talk to industry insiders, we talk to key government officials and in-market solutions providers from countries all across the globe, and we lean on their expertise. And we talk to business owners, we talk to managers, and entrepreneurs have been there before, leaning on their experience, all for your benefit. Now today, I'm gonna to be chatting with Paul Schaefer, Managing Director of Plum Play. Now Plum Play is a family-run business specializing in toys for children that encourage active or outdoor play, and they have had fantastic success growing from a small UK-based only startup to now actively selling in markets all across the world, all whilst still remaining family-run. Now, Paul will be joining us in a moment just to talk about he and the team and how they tackle the challenges of finding new connections in a market. He'll also talk about some of the challenges that they've faced along the way, as well as some of the insights that he can share with us too. But before we get to that, though, it's time for us to return to our monthly segment with one Gabriella Willis from Santander Corporate Investment Bank. Now, most of you'll remember, some of you, for the very first time, will be introduced to her. Gabriella is joining us from Santander Corporate and Investment Bank, and she's going to help us dissect what is going on in the UK markets and potentially what we should look to expect over the coming month. So welcome back to the show, Gabriella. It is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us again. Now, let's get right to it. What do you have from the market for us to mull over today? Yeah, so last week we had the UK inflation print for March. It was a lot higher than economists expected. It was actually still above 10%. This isn't good. The BOE, they target a 2% inflation rate. So as you can tell, it's still very, very high elevated levels. The um, Bank of England actually predicted a 9.2% inflation rate at this time. So as you can see, it's well above their forecasted levels still. So still no signs of inflation easing off quite yet then. Um, now to put that into perspective for the listeners, that means the current rate of inflation is five times higher than the official Bank of England target, and it's around 1.8% higher then, um, more than it was expected to be. Is the UK experiencing this by itself, Gabriella? And um, what are the reasons for this? I mean, surely I'm not the only one that's uh, surprised that it's still so high. Yeah, so you're right, it's so high, especially when compared to the EU and the US. So the US inflation rate has fallen pretty much about 5% and the EU again a touch below 8%. That's a lot lower than our 10%. As you can tell, the UK seems to be suffering the worst from both worlds. The it's uh, large... not, That's normal, it's par for the course for us, Gabriella. <laughs> so yeah, fantastic, but go ahead. That's true. So the UK seems to be suffering the worst of both worlds. 
A lot of this inflation, as you can remember, back in this time last year, was the result of the war in Ukraine. This caused yeah. energy prices to soar massively. Now, the EU and the UK, we are net energy importers. So this really hit us quite badly, whereas the US, they export energy. They were not as badly impacted by this. So on the one front, that's where us and the EU, we're really struggling. However, the UK, again, we struggle even more worse than the EU. The UK have a tighter labour market than they do in the EU. As you can see, we have vacancies still around 300,000 above pre-pandemic levels. And our unemployment, it's not really that, it's not really rising. We're still pretty good in that respect. But that means that we have a tight labour market. It means that wages are still increasing. They increased around 7% in last month. So on the one hand, we have the bad shock from the energy prices and we have the bad shock from the labour market. It's particularly bad because they have really high inactivity rates. So a lot of people are out of the market, out of the labour market completely because of mm. ill health. And this is something that really differentiates us from the EU and something which is actually quite a long term issue. It's funny you touch upon that because the very episode um, that you first appeared on, we were speaking about the skills shortage. And that is exactly the point that uh, one of our guests picked up on is yeah. this large piece of inactivity due to long term sick, um, which just seems to be a uniquely British problem at the moment. Um, so is that why um, we're seeing it so slow to fall then, I'm assuming? Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the reasons we're really seeing it struggle to fall. Another reason is the UK is actually a little bit more resilient than we all expected. So business optimism, especially in the services, is actually doing OK. So we had recent PMIs which show that it's, you know, it's actually um, expanding for the third month in a row. So, you know, we're doing OK. Um, okay. But it really is the crux of it is that we really have this strong wage growth, which is really struggling to pull it down the inflation. OK, so there are some reasons to be be positive then. I mean, um, business optimism going up for three months in a row for a full quarter. That's, I think that's something to celebrate. And I suppose some people would say like, wage growth is something to celebrate as well. But um, like everything in life, I suppose it's a double edged sword. Um, I'm assuming then that um, obviously with wage rates going up, they're being felt then across the entire UK business landscape. And it's not just like some sectors disproportionately. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, completely. So. Although businesses, they're all unique, this is really something that's underlying a lot of them and especially the service industry. And as we know, the service industry is our dominant sector in the UK. Yeah. So as you can tell, an increase in wages is a big part of some businesses' input costs. Those are rising, so it's really weighing on their profit margins. Another issue, which could be the increased cost of borrowing. So one of the things that the Bank of England are doing in order to tackle inflation is raising the base rate. This, although it's great for savers, actually increases the cost for businesses to borrow. Mm -hmm. So you're being hit by increasing an in input cost and then again, an increase in borrowing costs, which, you know, for some businesses can be really quite detrimental. So margins are being squeezed from both sides then. Um, it's not a nice position to be in. And look, of course, we hope that as many businesses in the UK can weather the storm for as long as they need to and as long as they can um, until inflation is uh, brought back under control, at least, which it inevitably will. Um, we just have to hope that, you know, it's sooner rather than later. Now, is the inflation rate itself, the, for lack of a better term, the only hot topic um, for the markets right now, Gabriella? Um, so I'm 
guessing another hot topic of the market is actually what the NPC are going to be doing for future rate hikes. Mm. Are they going to hike again? Our view is that, yes, they are. They're going to increase by another quarter percent to increase the overall base rate to four and a half. We think there is actually scope for potentially raising rate even further, but we're going to have to wait and see for more data to come up to, to be released. But as a whole, it's looking like the rate hikes aren't actually at the end yet. Oh, OK. Um, and I suppose that's why people are talking about it yeah, and why they, why they might be concerned about it. Yeah, no, exactly. We've heard actually very recently, as I mentioned, the labour market, which is showing it's tighter than it should be, and inflation, pretty ugly number still. Those are really creating the environment that actually they probably can't sit back yet. It's still very, very high. Mm, and, and what would be the consequences of that then, if that's the case? So further rate hikes mean, as I've mentioned, like borrowing costs of businesses will mm -hmm. continue to increase. But, you know, as I say, it's really... It's not a done deal, the future rate hikes beyond May. But even if they just yeah. hold it at this level, it's still very tight conditions. So really, it's just going to have to be one of these cases where everybody needs to keep an eye on the inflation rate, um, as subsequently, this is also going to likely impact the actions of the MPC as well. Well, thank you so much, Gabriella, for joining us yet again um, on this monthly segment. Um, can't wait to have you again next month. Um, like I said, we had a fantastic feedback um, about last session. We're going to have it from this segment, I'm sure. Um, thank you so much and uh, can't wait to speak to you again next month. Oh, no worries. Speak to you again next month. And that month is not too far away. It's almost May. Where April went, I have no idea. If anybody finds it, I will offer a hefty reward. <laughs> I'll be eternally grateful as well. Now, when making notes for the show last week, um, I was asked how I come up with the ideas for the fortnightly episodes. And it's actually a question I get asked quite often. So I thought it would be good to frame today's discussion um, in terms of the answer that I give to the question. Now, most of you will already know this, but for those of you that don't, Santander conducts a market-leading piece of research every six months into the attitudes, the expectations and the behaviours of UK businesses that are specifically um, either already trading internationally or are internationally ambitious. And what we mean by that is that they're both willing and able to become internationally active. And that is what we call the Santander Trade Barometer. And its findings are essential for the foundation of our international proposition. And they actually also serve as the foundation for this show. It tells us which markets UK businesses expect growth to come from. It tells us uh, which markets their ambitions lie in. And it also tells us the challenges that they're currently facing and what support they need and from who. Now, this is market leading research, like I said, and we're incredibly proud of it. But as with any research, it does need to be sense checked. And that's what we do in all of the daily conversations that we have with our corporate and commercial clients up and down the country. Now, this show is absolutely no different, but it is your opportunity to join us as we do that. Now, finding connections in a market has been cited as one of the biggest challenges UK businesses face on their international journey. And they have cited that as a challenge in every issue of the Trade Barometer since its inception many, many, many moons ago. So given that fact, when better to speak to a business who deals with exactly those challenges and does so pretty effectively than right now and with Paul Schaefer from Plum Play. Paul, welcome to the show. Great to get to chat to you. Um, it's bright, it's sunny. I'm looking forward to some good conversation. How are you doing and what's the weather like on your side? 
Uh, thanks for thanks for having me. The um, the weather is more dreary here, I would say. Sadly, sadly, not the bright lights that you're seeing. <laughs> oh, my condolences. Well, I must have done something right in a past life. Um, either that or the universe is getting ready to balance itself out, <laughs> which I will not look forward to in a couple of days. Um, but listen, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Paul. I um, really appreciate um, you taking the time to come and join us today. Um, can't wait to get into the conversation about finding connections in market with you because you're not just a domestic um, company here in the UK, are you, Paul? Um, you're now in a number of different markets. Oh, we um, we trade to over 50 different countries and we also have offices in Hong Kong and Australia, as well as having people in two other countries. So we're operational in three and, and five people in five. Oh, wow. So uh, probably fair to say then that the products have proved very popular everywhere. <laughs> and also probably fair to say that the company is generating what real revenue from all of those multiple sources. Yeah, absolutely. All over the all over the world, both domestically and inter from international. Fantastic. So essentially, there's no better person to have on the show <laughs> to talk about finding connections. <laughs> I think that's generous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a generous man, Paul, um, unless it comes to uh, snacks. <laughs> now, I think everyone on the call knows that business growth, whether it's domestic or not, is really a linear journey, right? Um, now, every sector and subsector have different business models, companies in the same sector even have different models and, and teams and specific conditions that businesses face daily are always going to be um, essentially unique. Now, when it comes to growth internationally, um, I think it's fair to say that this unique non-linear element um, of growth just increases exponentially. So I wanted to ask, um, whilst obviously you can't sit here and verbalise a textbook on how to start growing internationally by Paul Schaefer, um, I just want to hear about um, Plum Play, um, how you guys first started exploring opportunities outside of just the domestic market here in the UK. And I know the listeners want to hear that too. Um, for us, one of the one of the, the areas that we were looking at is we were always very domestic focused and it was we were very much a UK centric very UK-centric business and started venturing out to, to international trade shows and sort of seeing the, the nature of our products and actually how they were received in different places, which sort of really gave us the confidence to then start really pushing out and looking at these different markets, because actually we looked at how our products were perceived and actually we were competitive internationally and attracted a lot of connections and interest for, for what we did. A very solid way to start actually using trade shows, um, obviously just engage the interest from buyers outside the market that you already know, assessing how viable the product is and then um, obviously acting on the feedback that you're going to get from um, the new buyers in, in the new market that you're targeting. Now, that sounds like a very conscious decision then by, by you and the team. And I'm actually a bit curious then, was it always this way for the company? Uh, and the, the only reason I ask is a number of businesses that I've spoken to in the past um, have sometimes said they became like accidental exporters. And it was this that first became their eureka moment, um, if you will. Was that the case for you? Um, or was it a conscious decision to start branching out? Or, or was it, you know, accidental for you too? In the beginning, it was more accidental and then I think probably from 2015 we really looked at it and said you know what actually we've sort of been dipping our toe in and everything every order was an incremental order every territory was a new territory so therefore there was no strategy there was no strategic approach it was just like if somebody's ordered it from Ghana for example you go great it, it doesn't it, it's an incremental order it's not it's fantastic it's a different place whereas actually from 2015 we sort of really started getting some traction and went actually, this should be a strategic 
approach. And then we started targeting markets and started driving that sort very actively. And now that you're quite evidently conscious and enthusiastic exporters, is there a short list of areas that um, you find work well and um, any that you would consider saying this would be a good general rule of thumb for everyone to look at when they're exploring a new market? One of the one of the key areas we look at is, I guess, a lot of consumer behaviour, sort of space, consumer spend. You know, we sort of generally have sort of higher price point toys. You know, the average price of a toy is generally like 10 to 30 pounds as general spend. Obviously, we spend quite a lot more than that because we do trampolines, swing sets, play centres. So also the logistics capabilities in the market and the routes sort of routes to market that we can access there. So if I may then, Paul, so you're saying there are three main steps um, for you. So understanding market dynam dynamics, so the purchasing power, um, the spending habits within the market, and obviously the, the subsequent price points too, um, as well as then mapping out the logistics requirements in the market. And then finally, um, assessing the various routes to market, whether that be, you know, your agents, your distributors, direct consumer, et cetera. So let's say for ease, and just keeping it simple for me, because I am a simple man, Paul, <laughs> and easily confused, trust me. Um, let's say that you look at these points sequentially. Um, how does the business typically go about this? So we operate from our, from our trade shows, we've built up a quite a, a, good, a good base. We have an international sales team, and then we also use, so they, so they, lead, the, they lead the charge. And then from there onwards, we've got a selection of different sort of agents and distributors and direct to retail depending on what the market can take, because every market has a different price ceiling, a different access, different retailer capabilities, different needs for and for different products. So it's we sort of change the approach based on what the market sort of asks for. Absolutely. Um, and an incredibly important point, actually, Paul. Um, I mean, we find ourselves that what is true of one market isn't necessarily true of another. And that's regardless of how close they might be, either in terms of geography, culture or economically as well. And you have to then, if that's the case, be willing either to adapt your product or adapt the strategy to suit that target market or change the target market itself. Now, this actually brings us pretty smoothly um, on to the next topic. You'd think we planned this um, that I wanted to discuss with you, and that's the challenges in finding connections in other markets. Um, funnily enough, the title of the show. Now, for listeners that haven't had a chance to take a look at uh, the Santander Trade Barometer yet, one of the findings that are key, certainly for this show and uh, for Santander's wider international proposition, are the challenges that international businesses are facing. Now, I've consciously wanted to address challenges first in the show so that everyone knows that they're not alone when running up against these difficulties and importantly that they know as well that there's support available to help overcome them. So we've had a show um, where we've covered the skills shortage, we've had the most recent one covering regulatory barriers, specifically customs declarations, and today we're talking about finding needed connections in market. Now, the trade barometer tells us that this is one of the five biggest challenges that UK businesses are facing, and it's incredibly important, I think, that we uh, qualify those findings with businesses that we know, much like yourself. So would you agree with that, Paul? Um, would you say that that is a challenge? It is, it is really hard because a lot of the, you know, as an SME, as well as it's, you know, it's how, because the access to the information is to, you know, can you trust the partner? Are they reliable? What's the good trading history? Do you have a big choice of partner that you're you're accessing? Does the market for our products have a big array of people who can do it or not do it? Um, different markets have different challenges, different risks. It's it's 
we're sort of reliant on sort of a bit of external information, a bit of who they're trading with in, in before. It's it's never it's never easy, and a lot of the a lot of the things we have and the people we deal with we've dealt with now for a long time, and actually we build up that rapport and we we sort of use relationship side, but it's hard to build that to get that first point where you can then start building up that trading history. So, so given then like how challenging it is, um, and I understand you'll need to keep your connections um, unstated to keep them commercially valuable, um, you know, without giving away the equivalent of grandma's secret ingredient in 11 squares, um, how does Plum Play then typically find new connections in a target market? I mean, you mentioned earlier some of the approaches you've taken to date, relying on your existing networks for introductions and going to external sources like trade shows. What have you found to be the best approach? We sort of utilize both approaches. So if you know if we can use our network and get introductions and show on trade shows and get and meet people and find it, then it's that's fantastic. And any interest through people are always strong introductions because not usually you're getting in once you're being introduced to somebody, nobody really should be setting you up to fail and they don't and nobody does that as a sort of general part of business. But it's and we have used external markets sort of launches and market approaches and doing market studies as well to try and find the connection. So let's say then that, um, you know, Plum Play, you've gone through these various different approaches um, and you've successfully found a connection um, in, in the target market. How do you go about ensuring that it's the right connection um, for the business? Once once we've got a new connection, we, you know, we, we try and make do some due diligence on it to try and make sure, you know, we use sort of a, a credit insurance approach to say you know how can we how can we trade how flexible can we be what do we need to do what sort of risk is acceptable to take and actually how can we mitigate that risk and so we're quite reliant on that external data and certain and certain markets don't really have access to that side but it's we sort of utilize mainly that approach so i'm assuming that plum play have utilized opportunities to go and trade missions too Yes, very much so. And using the Department of International Trade and, and seeing something, you know, and working out and we're getting, we've used it before and it's been not so successful and we've used it and it's then we took some lessons and we've sort of changed how we would do it to make sure that they do become successful because yeah, it's, uh, it's it needs to be worth it. You know, it's such a good point that you just raised there, even with all the support nothing comes easy. So you're still going to have to, as a business, dedicate time and resource for that. Um, and I know that Santander's helped you um, with some of those pieces too. I'd be interested to know, um, even with your approach being as successful as it is, I mean, look, 50 markets speaks for itself. Um, has there been a market though that's still proved um, particularly difficult for you? The side for us is mainly getting that logistic, is, is making sure that we can we can handle the logistics piece. I guess the perfect example is when, you know, when we first went to Australia, you know, we thought, fine, we was our first real big foreign. We set up an office. We looked at how we could mirror some of the UK approach into Australia and said, fine, maybe let's do a uniform pricing and do and do some um, free delivery across the across the country. Well, that was the world's worst idea. When we saw one of the when we saw one of the, <laughs> the first freight when we saw one of the first freight bills come through, and you go, well, oh, actually, dear. that's worth twice as much as the product and free delivery actually in Australia, although we thought it would naturally benefit the, the CBD side, people wouldn't just because the demographic actually artificially benefits the people outside of all the, the key the key areas. So actually it's not definitely not, which I'm sure anybody could have told you that from from get go. And there's a reason people don't do that. And the reason people expect to pay delivery. But it was 
there's a few quite a few learnings sort of like that along the way that you sort of get hit on the nose a few times and then try not to make the same mistake again I am not a person that deals with anxiety well, and you relaying that story, Paul, has allowed me to relive it with you, and I'm having a mild panic attack, just as, as you, you told us about it. So thanks very much for that. <laughs> to spare me from going into complete meltdown, how about um, a brighter note? What about a market that surprised you with how easy it has been to trade in? Yeah, it's been some nice, I mean, and what I think what's been interesting is certain products and certain price working in working in different markets actually the middle east was one of our first sort of real strong strong points for export and actually that's worked very well and we've had probably our longer serving international side is is, is in that area um there are some bigger and then now you know we're looking at sort of i guess you know how we expand further in america and south america and yeah. in asia there's you sort of feel like there's a although in a, we're in lots of different countries how do we penetrate better in all these different places and actually expand the market brands and build the brand. And building your brand is such a crucial piece of the jigsaw. Um, it can't be overstated as to how important it is. I mean, you can be massive in a domestic market and have your brand really well known. Take it to a completely new market where no one knows it. You're going to find incredible difficulty getting not just consumers at the end piece, but even in front of distributors and, and agents as well that would represent you. Now, it's also really, really interesting, Paul, that you bring up the Middle East there, um, because it's actually one of the markets that's also proving really popular on the Santander Navigator right now. And Hopefully, we'll get Monica Kemp, our country specialist for the region, um, on the show soon um, to talk about some of the opportunities that are currently in that market and how she can help facilitate any business that's interested in um, realising those opportunities as well. So from your perspective, though, um, why do you think it's been um, so easy for you and, and why is it proving so popular? Is that due to the, the large expat community over there or, or would you say it's something else? I think it's I actually think it's because of the space people you know, look for quality items, you know, less price um, price challenged in, in a lot of those places. Actually, I, I don't even think it's necessarily for the expat market. I think it's also the local right. market. And I think it's, we've seen, you know, I've seen some of our biggest sets built in apartments in in, um, uh, in there. And it's been, there's some fantastic bigger items going there. And I think it's because that people can pay the higher price point and are happy to do it. And I'm happy to pay for the quality as well i mean that, they recognize the brand that i think comes comes first is as you know we, we were just speaking about like you said um and consumers in that market you're absolutely right they do have solid purchasing power uh, and actually i have a friend that lives in dubai and he's told me of some of the fantastic things available in, in skyscraper apartments which he you know he lives in one of them and that you just wouldn't even enter into the realms of possibility over here um now moving back to some of the support that you've had you mentioned your network as well as the Department for International Trade, or now known as the Department for Business and Trade, and uh, some of the support that they've given you. And of course, I'm more than a little keen to talk about the support that Santander provides. Um, and I just wanted to ask you about the, the support we've provided specifically for you um, and what you've gotten from Santander. Yeah, I think there's been a, a huge amount of support actually come from Santander. What's, what has been very good is actually everyone is very proactive about this Santander Navigator. And there's been lots of meetings and lots of introductions where come and these buyers are coming here. You know, is it relevant? Are these buyers coming here? Come and meet the this different country introductions into certain different markets when we're looking at other approaches have done a fair few introductions into different places for us. Yeah, when we're looking, let's just say when we're going to 
America and we want to look at, I don't know, let's say increasing marketing or we're looking at logistics, there's there's been some fantastic introductions and sort of just getting to know the market a bit better has, has sort of been helped, very helpful. And I really couldn't be happier um, hearing that, Paul, to be honest. It's fantastic. Um, and look, I encourage all of the listeners who may be looking for the same type of support um, to go to your Google machine, type in Santander Navigator and click on the link. Um, you can get access to the Santander Navigator for free by choosing our Explore package. The sign up is smooth and simple. And the only thing that you need to remember is tell them exactly how you came by it which is this show right here. Now, you've been so gracious, Paul, in giving up your time and coming and sharing your wisdom and regaling us with these stories as well. Um, it's only fair, I think, that you tell us a little bit about the background to Plum Play and, and what it is that you guys provide. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I'm not, I'm not sure about wisdom, but uh, certainly certainly learning from our mistakes, I would say, is and non-linear is probably definitely a fantastic way of describing it. Um, <laughs> I. Plum Play, so we're the leading sort of active play specialists in sort of the UK, specialising in trampoline, swing sets, anything, scooters as well, anything which gets your child off screens into using their imagination, get the activity, sort of that outdoor 365 days play. And I think for us, we, we now sell to over 50 different countries. We're a family business, I'm second generation started by my started by my parents 35 years ago so in a an apartment wow. in a flat in Twickenham so <laughs> now it's, it's where all good businesses start I've been told Paul so well, <laughs> you're already on the from the rugby stadium that. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah you know what I will not tell you a, a story in which uh, yeah I had no idea what Twickenham was or where Twickenham was and had to ask um, my taxi driver what it was he replied Twickenham and I then replied oh the cricket ground I'm not sure anybody could fully grasp the heaviness of the uncomfortable silence that followed there. Um, now, there you go. So after telling you, I would tell you the story I just did. <laughs> Incidentally, I did tell my colleagues that same story after it happened. And uh, yeah, they imposed temporarily that six feet rule um, that we all came to, to know and love. Um, but we've digressed, Paul. So um, you started 35 years ago. Um, tell us what's on the horizon then for the next 35. Yeah, absolutely. So one of our one of our key, obviously, core markets is, is the is the UK and the areas we've got, and also in Australia. So they're sort of key key areas where we've got our base. And then it's sort of continuing to grow that footprint internationally. I think one of the we actually went international to reduce risk in the business because actually you've got a bigger market to sell. You can have fluctuations and challenges in every market, as we're seeing now. You know, it's not yeah. nothing is nothing is easy. Now is not easy, but it's having the there's different routes to market, there's different channels that really are really helpful for us. You know, without sounding like a broken record here, Paul, that is honestly wonderful to hear um, because it's the same point that we always try to drive home as well. Um, and it's why we're so enthusiastic about supporting businesses to grow internationally. When they diversify their supply chains, when they diversify their customer base, they insulate themselves from any local risks, they protect the business. And look, it makes business healthier in the process. It's phenomenal to hear a business like yourself actually attest to that and preach it back to us too. You know, we're looking at some of the, the sort of Asian markets, South American markets, really to sort of drive a bit more growth and new opportunities. And, and when we're looking at sort of, I guess, further growth into obviously Europe and, and North America, I'm going to basically name every continent. So that's quite impressive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you know, there's there's definitely, you know, Big market penetration still be had in America and 
and Canada to continue to drive that side. So I think that that will always be key, as well as not forgetting about the so the the European one. As people have now got used to the sort of Brexit, the pricing revolving around that is actually now how to increase it, and people sort of are more open to business. Phenomenal. Um, well, listen, Plumley has world domination in its sights. You'll hear it here first. Um, uh, <laughs> presence in every continent. Can't wait to see your pop-up stall in Antarctica. That's going to be fantastic. Um, but listen, on that note, like I know you're a very busy, busy man, um, and I really appreciate the time that you've taken to just come and chat to us. Um, can't wait to have you on the show again, Paul. Um, and obviously, we're going to have you on the next time you have break into a new market in one of these continents, um, and look forward to chatting to you then. No, fantastic. And thanks so much for, for having me. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. And for those of you who have children, do check out Plum Play's website. They have over 40 products on there, ranging from trampolines, swings, slides, climbing frames, many other outdoor toys besides. The Paul and the team are on an absolute mission to create a world that is rich in every play possibility, where products are reassuringly safe, of great quality, and are kind to the environment. And you want to be part of that mission too. Now, you heard he and I talk a little bit earlier about the Santander Navigator 2. Again, I encourage you to take a look. Sign up for your free access on the Explore tier. It's aptly named, and you can then go ahead and find out what kind of support it can provide for you and your business. Now, if you're already quite far along on your international journey or are already internationally active, you don't need to worry because there are packages designed to meet your needs too. Just remember to tell them who sent you. Now, that's it for another episode of Borderless Business with Santander. And if you haven't already, make sure you like, share and subscribe and that way you'll never miss an episode. And it also means I can bring you the best possible guests each and every one of those episodes. The next one of which we're going to be talking shipping, logistics and regulations with two fantastic guests, one of whom I know pretty well. But until then, farewell, friends. <laughs>